Well, welcome uh, to Potomac Hills. My name is Frank. If you don't know me, please do stick around afterwards. I'd love uh, the chance to meet and greet. Uh, hope you had a blessed Christmas day. Uh, it can be uh, a time of joy, of course. And it can also be a time that is difficult as we remember those that are not with us. Um, but however your Christmas has gone, uh, you're right where you ought to be, either worshiping at home, online, or here in the house of the Lord, uh, worshiping together with his people. And so if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verses 41 and 52, that will be our passage for this morning. And as we jump into the text, we're meeting Jesus early on in his life, not super early as his birth, but sort of in the middle uh, as, a, as a boy. And it's really the only snapshot that we have of Jesus's life between birth and the start of his earthly ministry at age 30. And so... Uh, teenage Jesus, or I guess preteen, depending on how you, 12 years old back then was probably teen. Anyways, so unsurprisingly, as a teen, uh, his mom is probably not super happy with him, as we will see in the, uh, in the text, so let's read. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when uh, the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And when all who heard him were amazed, at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to show us all the connections between Passover's uh, past, present, and future, and final. And Lord, we ask that we would see uh, how this passage points us to your gospel and ultimately to our union with you. And so, Lord, we pray these things in your holy and matchless name. Amen. And so, before we get into the text, uh, let's quickly address some sort of side issues so that we can focus on Jesus at the actual Passover feast. Since we're talking about meals with Jesus, I figured we should just sort of deal with the side issues first. So, big question, did Jesus sin? Because Mary clearly thinks that he, uh, he has, because she's not super happy with him. But we know without a doubt that Jesus did not sin. Hebrews 4.15 makes this unequivocal. For we, know, uh, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And so some of us have been tempted to like run away or to justify parents. Jesus had all of those temptations, did not, did not succumb to those temptations. So we know that Jesus did not sin. So how do we explain Mary sort of being super upset? Well, we understand it because she's simply at the end of her rope. Anyone who's lost a kid in the mall or just forgotten, you know, like forgotten them like at church or something like that can feel the just anxiety 
sort of pumping off of them. And that's like five, 10, 15 minutes. Who knows how long you've lost your kid, right? Now imagine your kid is lost in a very large city with lots of strangers for three days, right? And so you can imagine just the anxiety and just all of the feelings that uh, Mary is feeling. And she's just simply emotionally dumping on Jesus three days worth of stress and anxiety. And note, right, Jesus hasn't done anything wrong here. He hasn't sinned in any way. And yet, what does he do? We see the humility of Jesus as he submits anyways in verses 51 and 52. That he submits to his parents and goes with them back to Nazareth. The humility of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to submit to sinful parents. But it really means the world to, to Mary uh, and what a, a way to honor his parents in accordance with the law, right? And so we see not only that Jesus doesn't sin, but the humility of Jesus on display here. But these are all really secondary to the main point, which is Jesus' Jesus's time at the feast of the Passover. And so um, let's, let's talk about Jesus at the Passover, right? How many of you guys have ever had the experience of getting so absorbed in learning something that time just seems to fly by? Anyone? Not, not just having fun, but learning something. Okay, great. Fantastic. So we've all had that sort of opposite experience where every second seems to sort of crawl by. But uh, for me, the time that I think about when, when I think of getting sort of so absorbed in learning something was at nerdy science camp, because you know me, me and science camp, nerdy nerd camp, right? And um, there at this sort of nerdy science camp, over the summer, experts would come and give sort of hands-on instruction in their fields of expertise, giving sort of big talks and lectures and um, sort of explorations every single day. And so for nerds like me and hopefully nerds like you, um, it was an awesome experience, right? But the most memorable and engaging one was taught by a cancer surgeon. And he brought with him a number of human cadavers and I got the opportunity at age 18 to dissect a human arm, and it was amazing. And many of you are thinking, oh gosh, that's kind of gross, but it was amazing to see all the muscles, the nerves, the bones that make up your arm. I got to see how the tendons work to curl your fingers and really how smooth the carpal tunnel actually is. And the wonder and glory of God's handiwork was just on display for me to just sort of explore. And it was super fascinating. And our three-hour block of time seemed to just evaporate um, as I was sort of dissecting. It would, we would just sort of begin, and then we would be done. And it was, it was just simply amazing. And so I imagine it was like that for Jesus in our passage today. You see, again, our, this passage is the only instance in the Gospels where we get a view of Jesus between his birth and the start of his earthly ministry. And so... The, meet here at the temple on Passover was 12. And he was just one year away from becoming a son of the commandment, which is when you become a full member of the synagogue, which is not unlike the joining the church as a full communicant member that we have done both last week and today. And it's a big deal to declare uh, a public and personal commitment to the Lord, just as it is a big deal now. And so you can almost feel the anticipation, the eagerness, the excitement of Jesus as he goes to Jerusalem to watch 
and learn about the feast that is really at Remember, this is the only instance of the in, the in the Gospels that we get a picture of Jesus as a boy. And so Luke is specifically including this story to connect Christ's birth before and his earthly ministry after, which means that this particular visit to the Passover feast, he's probably gone multiple times because it's the, the passage tells us that he went as according to their custom. In there multiple times but why this visit and I think it's this visit because it it helps us understand all that comes next including the cross and the resurrection so it's meant to sort of show us a picture of Jesus's world opening up and so let's see this is a connecting passage connecting what God has done in the past to what God has done then in the present and what God will do in the future. And hopefully that will point us to a final Passover meal. So what was Jesus learning about at the Passover? Well, he was learning all about that first Passover in Egypt. God was commanding Pharaoh to let my people go and sending plagues when uh, Pharaoh refused. Uh, but the final not just the earth, the firstborn sons of the Egyptians, but also the Israelites too. Every firstborn son was to die, but God provided a substitute for his people. He instructed them to take the blood of a perfect lamb and smear it across and above the doorposts of their home. And so God wasn't taking away the punishment, but providing a way for his people to be saved from judgment. And that way was through substitutionary atonement, that the lamb was killed in the place of the son. Now, of course, this is 100% grace. God didn't have to provide a way of salvation for these children. The Israelites weren't any better than the Egyptians, and we saw that time and again. And so, yet God the Lord gave them grace and mercy simply because he loved them and had chosen them. So that's Passover past. So which brings us to Passover present. The Passover in Jesus' day was one of remembrance and expectation. Remembrance in that it was a memorial to all that the Lord had done for the people of Israel to bring them out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so the Passover in Jesus' present was to call the Jews back to that first Passover. A reminder of their need for a savior and of the Lord's favor and grace and claim upon their lives. And in a way, it functions a lot like the Lord's Supper. For Fasten their sandals on their feet and their staff in their hands. Because the first Passover was a meal of expectations. God was going to do something so mighty that Pharaoh would let them go. And so the expected deliverance was coming and coming soon. And so Passover after Passover after Passover, the people were reminded to expect God to do something mighty on their behalf. In Jesus' day, the anticipation would have been palpable. They were again under the thumb of hated oppressors, this time the Romans. And so the question was not if God would do something, but when. The Passover hope that the Lord would again deliver them from their oppressors shouldn't be missed, even if it is somewhat of a misguided and earthbound hope. 
because it is in the midst of these sort of political hopes and the history of God's favor to the people that Jesus soaks in the rituals of the Passover. He's watching and learning and sifting through all the various meanings that the people had attached to the rites, that God had attached to the rites, both rightly and wrongly. And he was making connections and coming into a new awareness of all that the Passover meant, especially significant would have been that moment when he would have stood with his earthly father, Joseph, to slaughter the family's sacrificial lamb. He would have been with a throng of thousands, standing in a courtyard, each family with a lamb. Can you imagine how many animals and just sort of the noise that those animals are making? And he would have been uh, standing there waiting for the, the horn to blow for that appointed moment that the, the crowd would do the deed together to slaughter their family's lambs. Think about the amount of blood that would have been shed in that very moment. It would have been staggering. And all of it pointing to, to the need for a substitute for sin. All of it pointing to the graciousness of God to allow a way for atonement. You can almost sense Jesus' young brain making connections and wrapping itself around the symbolism of the Passover. You can almost see him looking back in worship over what the Lord has done and looking forward to that final and ultimate deliverance that was to come. And of course, for Jesus, that anticipation, that looking forward is personal. Because it, at some point along the way, between his birth and the start of his earthly ministry, Jesus realized that he was going to be the, the Passover lamb of future, right? The, the lamb of Passover future. And I would like to think that Luke included this unique snapshot of Jesus' uh, childhood because of its significance in Jesus' growth and understanding and calling and of his understanding of the calling that God the Father had placed on his life. Perhaps here is when we get to see Jesus begin the shift from being a boy just sort of growing up and learning to being a man who is taking upon himself the work of redemption. You see, Jesus is ultimately what the Passover points to. Jesus is, of course, the new Passover lamb. He is the one whose blood covers over sin. But his blood doesn't just spare the firstborn from the angel of death. His blood doesn't just protect his people while God delivers him from wrath. It isn't just preventative. His blood really actually brings with it life and life in abundance. Do you see the, do you see the difference? The resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So Jesus' blood doesn't just keep death away, but rather swallows it up in resurrection life. The life that we have in Christ is through the Lamb's blood shed for us. And that's really the gospel, isn't it? That Christ died for us. That he shed his blood as the greater Passover Lamb, but he would not stay dead. No, the Lamb rose in resurrection life. And it is by his blood that our sins are atoned for, and it is by his resurrection life that we are new creations, sons and daughters of God, united to the Lamb through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Christ's blood, the Lamb's blood, makes us white as snow, as Revelation 7 tells us. And it is because we are in the blood, 
we can rejoice with the multitude, singing, Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne, and unto the Lamb all praise and glory, wisdom and thanks, honor and power and strength forever and ever. Amen. That is what we're pointed to, which brings us to another meal, really the final meal, the final Passover meal, which is the marriage supper of the Lamb. For in that day of celebration and worship, we will be invited to sit down with Jesus at the feast that surpasses imagination. What a joy it will be to no longer celebrate in anticipation, but to celebrate in rest. It's the difference between the rehearsal dinner and the wedding reception. Right? While it's a joy to be with family and friends at the rehearsal dinner to hear stories about the bride and the groom as they've grown up to embarrass them, really, right? Um, to, to sort of hear stories about what has brought them to this point, it's still a meal of anticipation, looking forward to that wedding day that is coming the very next day. But the wedding reception is a meal of rest. The groom is finally united to his bride, and at least for me, when I got married, there was a profound sense of rest in my soul. I didn't have to keep looking. She was here, my person was here, and we were together at last. How much more will it be when we sit down with our very Savior at the marriage supper of the Lamb? All our fears, our doubts, our anxieties, our sins and shortcomings will be in the past, and he will be here between God and man that Passover points to. It points us to that final Passover meal, which is really the meal, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so that intimacy is really what we want to highlight this morning. You see, at the very center of this story is Jesus' time at the Passover and being left in Jerusalem by his parents is Jesus' really, the reason why he's left behind is because Jesus desires to be with his father. You see, God is only referred to as Father 14 times in the Old Testament, and it's always in reference to, an, to the nation and not the individual. And so even when God is sort of spoken of as Abraham's father, Abraham himself never called God as his father. Not only is there a claim to divine parentage, but there's, it also speaks to the access and intimacy and desire for his father. Being in his father's house overrides every concern. Being with the father, doing the father's will, and pleasing the father is everything to Jesus. His chief end is both to glorify God through obedience and worship and also to enjoy him. And so, friends, in Christ we have obtained access to the father. We have been made new that we might be with him. And so our wedding day is assuredly coming. The big question is, do we live like it? My question isn't one of obedience, but of desire. Now that we have, we were doing the elder interviews with the communicants class, I was in with the guys, uh, Paul, Luke, and Timothy. And Mark Riss was with me, and we wanted to see if they love the Lord. That's really the whole point. Like, no one has to tell him to. He just simply does it. Because if we love something, we seek it out. We keep, out, keep an eye out for every opportunity to do that which we love. We look forward to it, and we pursue it. 
And so we asked the guys, do you love Jesus in that way? Do you look forward to time with him? Do you look for every opportunity to spend time with him? Do you listen to him? Or do you have to be told to pay attention to him? Friends, as we come into a new year, that's my question to you too, and to me, myself, right? Here and there, um, but is it true? It's all too easy to slip into mindless patterns of behavior. And married couples, you all understand this, right? How easy it is to sort of take the wonder of our union with our spouse for granted. And so those of you that are married, I hope that your heart still sings and rejoices over your spouse. I hope, too, that for all of us that are united with the Lord, that our heart and our heart sings and rejoices over Jesus. Our union with Christ. There is absolutely nothing as foundational as enjoying our union with Christ. It is my prayer that 2021 has made you love the Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father more than you have in the past. And it is also my prayer that in 2022 that Jesus would deepen your love for him even more. Because really, the whole point of Father God, we rejoice. We rejoice that you have not left us alone but that you sent your son to become as one of us, to save us from our sin, that we might be with you forever and always. Lord, remind us of that. Remind us of the wonder of that. For Lord, we do not deserve you, but because of the wonder of your gospel. Lord, let us rejoice in the salvation that you have wrought. these things in Jesus' name. Amen.